listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. All right, let's jump in today. Now, yesterday we started talking about this subject of spiritual warfare. And uh, if you missed it, go back and watch. We were dealing with the biblical versus the insane. (laughs) And there's a lot of insane stuff uh, that's going on in the world of spiritual warfare uh, in a lot of these so-called prophetic camps. And again, I say this all from the perspective of a Pentecostal charismatic who believes in all of these things with all my heart. But just because I believe in them doesn't mean that I don't see the excesses and the abuses of these things that are happening. So yesterday we dealt with a lot of the stuff that's just really insane. And I I still can't understand why people aren't satisfied with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit uh, that we see in the scripture, that that Jesus saw, that the apostles saw, that the early church saw. And uh, there's people that are making up a whole lot of stuff just for the sake of having a manifestation, I guess. But, and by the way, if you're just jumping on, please take a minute to share this today. But we need to be pursuing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we see in the scripture. We're expecting not only people to be saved, but to be healed, to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, to be delivered, uh, those kinds of things. We're really warring for the souls of men, if you will, by preaching the gospel. And of course, there's pushback from an antichrist spirit that does not want the gospel preached, that does not want to see souls saved, an antichrist spirit that does not want God's plan to play out in the earth. And we as the body of Christ are pushing forward by faith to do what the Lord has called us to do, which is to seek and to save those that are lost and to manifest the power of God uh, on the earth. So um, when we talk about spiritual warfare, uh, it is a real thing. It's a very real thing, and it needs to be dealt with because we are not wrestling, the Bible says, against flesh and blood. So it's not uh, necessarily a man that is the enemy of the church. It is the spirit that drives wicked men and women. So we talk about men and women. They are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel can reach into the darkest heart of the worst sinner that there is and bring them into the kingdom of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Paul taught that. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So men are not my enemy, but the devil is my enemy. Demons are my enemy. And there are, now sadly, there are men and women that are driven by demon spirits. There are men and women that are strongly influenced by the devil, by an antichrist spirit. And so they allow themselves to be controlled and manipulated by the spirit of this world. And so 
We fight, yes, but not against flesh and blood. You can't defeat the devil with a gun or with a knife or with C4 explosives. You're not the spiritual Rambo. So you have to understand that Paul taught the Roman church, or excuse me, the, the, uh, the church in Ephesus, he taught them that, and I'll read this to you again, that, uh, and I'm reading from Ephesians chapter six, and this is where we're gonna <clears throat> begin, and then I'll break these three areas down. Uh, Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So I, I do have to say it again, that every Christian is commanded to be strong in the Lord. That means that there are Christians who are weak in the Lord. And we know, I've taught on this before, there are different levels of maturity in the body of Christ. We know that. There are different levels of faith in the body of Christ. We know that. For example, <clears throat> when Paul dealt with the Corinthian church in his first letter, he said to them, I'm a little frustrated with you because you're still babies, immature in Christ, and I have to give you the milk of the word. Can we not move on to the deeper things? You know, he was frustrated. He was still giving them baby food. It's like, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to mature? That's how he felt. So they were immature. Whereas Paul deals with the Ephesians and speaks to them in a very mature way. And uh, there are different levels of maturity. Well, on top of that, there are different levels of faith. We see it in the Bible. Uh, those with no faith, those with little faith, those with great faith, like the centurion. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel, Jesus said. And there were other times, O ye of little faith. So there are different levels of maturity and there are different levels of faith. And we know that. Good morning, Ashley. So Paul gives the command, be strong in the Lord. So there's a way to be strong in the Lord. Uh, I will quote a proverb here. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, and let me give you the exact reference because I believe I, I have it off the top of my head. Proverbs, uh, I believe it's Proverbs chapter 21. And verse 16, one who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. One translation says one who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So it's the truth that sets you free. Can I truly be a follower of God, but still rest in the assembly of the dead? What does that mean? To look as though I have the same results in my life as an unbeliever or, or someone who doesn't follow God. Look at this proverb, Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. So look at that one, Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, the day of battle, then your strength is small. So it's, it's important to understand that there are Christians that have not become strong in the Lord, if you will, and the power of his might. So what's the result of that? They faint in the day of adversity. They fail when the devil attacks them. Temptations may come and they fall into. They fail. Why? Their strength is small. And so what do you have to do instead? You have to build up your strength. Be strong in the Lord. See, Paul would never have commanded this 
if it was an automatic thing. If every Christian was just automatically strong in the Lord, then there's no reason to command Christians to be strong. See that? But Paul understood and was inspired by the Spirit to say that there are those that need to be strong. You're not strong now, but be strong. And he tells how to do it. Put on the whole armor of God. So by putting on the whole armor of God, you stand up in the strength of his might. That's what Paul's teaching. So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are schemes of the devil, no question. No question. And the Bible says, Paul told the Corinthian church, we are not to be ignorant of the devil's devices, his schemes. Morning, Lena. Good morning, Mama. We're not to be ignorant. By the way, that was two different people. I was not calling Lena Mama. <laughs> That's Mama from New York. We're not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes or his devices. <clears throat> and here, by putting on the whole armor of God, we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And the Bible says, now here's the verse that I quoted earlier, for we do not wrestle <clears throat> against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. <clears throat> and so, well, how do we do that? Well, what is the armor of God truly? Because as Paul breaks it down, I want to talk about three ways to make the devil flee from you. To make the devil flee from you. Of course, we're probably all familiar with the verse from the letter of James, where the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's just, let's just deal with that verse of scripture for a moment. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Well, if we see a therefore, let's go back and see what it's there for. So let's go behind this verse. Let's look at the, uh, Let's look at the sixth verse. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So James is writing that by submitting ourselves to God, then we are walking in humility. And when we walk in humility, then guess what? God gives more grace to those that submit themselves to him. That's what the therefore is there for. To show us that you can't just resist the devil in your flesh. You resist the devil by submitting yourself to God in humility, in meekness, right? And so I want you to put that. I'm going to give you these three things. We're going to deal with them. Um, and, and I'm going to show you the three ways that you resist the devil and that in spiritual warfare, you make the devil flee from you. So way number one is this, remain in righteousness. This is, way, this is the first method, first of the three. 
Number one, put it in the chat, remain in righteousness. So everybody quotes this verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But look at the whole thing together. That's where you'll get the power of it. And um, if we start in verse six, which is in the middle of the author's thought, but we'll start there anyway. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Well, what is pride? Pride says my way is better than God's way, right? Because this passage is literally a warning against worldliness. And so pride says my way is better than God's way. That's pride. And God opposes people like that. And it's open game for the devil when people live that way. My way is better than God's way. My way is better. My way is higher. They're open game. Because God's opposing those kinds of people. We remain in righteousness. Well, guess what? It takes humility. It takes meekness to remain in righteousness. To obey the laws and the instructions of God takes meekness, takes humility. Doesn't automatically happen. Your flesh fights against it. Your flesh fights against it. Hard. But we remain in righteousness. Um, Then the Bible says, he gives more grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Meaning, if you're going to be the humble one that he gives more grace to, then submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now look at verse 8 because it goes right along with it. Draw near to God. So two things. You know, we we always stop at that verse 7, but it's two things together, right? Resist the devil, draw near to God. In fact, they go hand in hand. I want you to put them in the chat that way. Resist the devil, draw near to God. Resist the devil, draw near to God. Put them in the chat together as one. Resist the devil, draw near to God. See, resist the devil, he'll flee. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, so look at that. Resist the devil, draw near to God. Well, and then two different things happen when you do that, right? So when you resist the devil, he flees. When you draw near to God, he comes. He draws near to you. Resist the devil, he flees. Draw near to God, he comes and draws near, draws near to you. So it takes that humility, it takes that meekness to remain in righteousness. To say that God's ways are far better than my ways. That's what holiness is. It is living your life in alignment with God's ways which are higher than your ways. His thoughts which are higher than your thoughts. And that's the key there. When I draw near to God through my humility, my meekness, my obedience, my faithfulness, my diligence, he draws near to me. He draws near to me. But notice we take the first step of obedience, not God. God already took the first step by sending Jesus. And now that we're part of the body, we have a responsibility to draw near to God on a daily basis. So the first way to... uh, if we're talking about spiritual warfare, making the devil flee, 
The first way is to remain in righteousness. Remain in righteousness. This is such a powerful thought. If you've never taken the time to go back and watch that message by Pastor Adeboye, The Master Key, you should go back and watch The Master Key, where he talks about holiness being the master key in the kingdom of God that opens every door. Every door. And that's the key here, that when you stand in holiness, you remain in righteousness, it is the first level, the master key that will allow you to literally war spiritually and cause the devil to flee from your life. Flees from your life. He's got nothing in you. He's got nothing in you. He must flee as you've submitted yourself, therefore, to God. Well, when you're looking through um, the armor of God, as we go back now to Ephesians chapter 6, if you go back to the armor of God and we break down those pieces again, how many of those pieces are righteousness that stand for your salvation, remaining in your salvation? Well, let's look at them. The breastplate of righteousness right? The helmet of salvation. And then the other ones represent the word of God. So the armor of God, as I've told you before, is made up of two elements, righteousness and the word of God. So by putting on the helmet, by putting on the breastplate, think about those two things. The two most important parts of your body when you're in battle are your head and your chest. And of course, if you've ever seen a a breastplate, it extends all the way down to the waist. A breastplate goes from the shoulders all the way down and ends at the waist, covering all of the uh, important organs there of your body that could be destroyed in battle. Your heart, your lungs, you know, you go go through all of it. But think about the two most important areas of your body in battle, your head and your chest. And notice what guards those in Paul's analogy. Righteousness, my salvation, my righteousness, my righteousness, which is truly his righteousness. Because Isaiah said our righteousness is like filthy rags. Hmm. And to really break down the the Hebrew there, if you really want to know how in your face it got, is the true Hebrew there is your righteousness is like used menstrual cloths. That's the original Hebrew in that passage of Isaiah. Your righteousness, my righteousness in the flesh, is like used menstrual cloths. Why did he make that distinction? Because under the law of Moses, when a woman was on that cycle she was considered to be totally unclean and was uh, really outside of what was called clean and had to cleanse herself afterwards to come back into the camp in that way, back around society. They were declared, now watch this, not only were they declared unclean, everything they touched was declared unclean. You understand? So when Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, is giving us this picture, he wanted to give us the most in-your-face wording so that you could understand how 
terrible of a situation humanity is in without God. He said, your righteousness truly is just extremely unclean. That's who you are without Christ. That's what Isaiah is trying to get across. That your righteousness without God in your life, because there was no Christ at that point on the earth, your righteousness without God is like extremely unclean, rejected, put outside of the camp. But then, this is the powerful part. As Paul writes his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul uh, tells them in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to this now. I'll just read verse 21 for the sake of time. For our sake, God made Christ, and I'm using their names there so you would understand the context. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now, because of Christ, we have become, we've thrown off that old righteousness that was like filthy rags, and we've now become the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. That's a whole nother level. That is so powerful. What a miracle that he took us from death unto life and brought us into a place where we now have union with Christ, we're in his body, we're seated in heavenly places. And by remaining in righteousness, so remaining in righteousness, what does that mean? That's what Jesus taught in the gospel of John chapter 15, which means that there are actual steps to be taken to remain in righteousness. Christ said, if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. So there are actions we must take to remain in him. What are they? According to Jesus, God, the father, is the vine dresser or the husbandman who comes and inspects the vine and branches. And Jesus said when he finds branches that are refusing to produce fruit, then he prunes them, or excuse me, he cuts them off. He cuts them off, throws them into a pile to be burned. If he finds branches that are producing fruit, he prunes them so they'll produce even more fruit. So notice, it is the fruit production that causes you to remain in Christ, to remain in righteousness. The fruit production. God is calling for people to produce fruit in the kingdom. And that's fruits of righteousness is what I'm talking about. Righteous deeds, righteous actions, that's holiness. Morning, Ted. And so the first way to truly uh, engage in spiritual warfare, if you want to know the truth about it, it's not blowing a shofar, it's not waving a flag or dressing up in a spandex outfit. It is walking in righteousness, remaining in righteousness. It doesn't matter if you do all the other things if this isn't in place. Nothing else matters. Not that I would do any of those things I just mentioned. No, I don't have a spandex outfit or I don't own any flags. <laughs> I don't own a shofar, but uh, I'm talking about all the other things that you could do. This is the baseline. This is the foundation. (laughs) Amen. This is the foundation. And so it's important to understand that the first way to engage in spiritual warfare is to walk humbly before God, to remain in righteousness, to walk in holiness. And when we do, the Bible says, all the other things begin to fall into place. 
God will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. 1 Peter 3, his ears are open to their prayers. All the different things that the Bible teaches about obedience now begin to come into your life. If you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. He told the Israelites, if you will hearken diligently into all the things that I command you this day and obey them, then I will lift you on high above all the nations of the earth. And you read Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, you start to realize all the things he promised them for their obedience. It's powerful. This is the way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will just be added unto you. Jesus taught it. All the things they were discussing. And so, number one, the first thing that's got to be in place is you have to remain in righteousness. Now, let's keep going. Uh, Paul's talking about the armor of God. All right. Well, what's the second part of the armor of God? The second part of the armor of God, as we've talked about, is the word of God. The word of God. And so he talks about these pieces of armor. Well, look, the first one, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The truth is the word of God. The truth is the word of God. And so that's, that's, the, that's the first piece there. And then, of course, it's the breastplate of righteousness. All right, keep on going. For the shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Well, what's the gospel? The word of God. The shield of faith. How does faith come? By hearing the word of God. Uh, the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. So as I've taught for years, the, the armor of God is made up of two main elements. Righteousness and God's word. <clears throat> so if you're putting this in your notes, put it in the comments. The second effective way to make the devil flee from you in spiritual warfare is by the word of God. By the word of God. And Jesus used this method. Jesus used this method and it caused him to be uh, successful in every battle against the enemy. Every battle. Number two, by the word of God. Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. And we're going to just go through the passage of Luke chapter four, verses one through 14. You're going to see Jesus do it. Jesus, if you don't understand it, Jesus is engaged in spiritual warfare. Jesus is engaged in spiritual warfare in this passage. And he wins three times. He wins and overcomes three times. You ready? Luke 4, I'm starting verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's, I, I, I could get on that. That's a whole other topic. But notice Jesus didn't have any miracles happen. Had nothing uh, in his ministry take place or even begin until he got filled with the Holy Spirit after being baptized in the Jordan River by John. And so you, got, you better have the Holy Ghost. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, Get this now in your spirit. When the devil speaks to you, you speak back to him. Put that in the comments. 
when the enemy speaks to me, I'll speak back to him. Answer your enemy. Answer your enemy. Jesus answered his enemy here. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up. So notice, when he answered his enemy in that area, the devil stopped tempting in that area. The devil stopped messing with him in that area. What did he do? Well, by the way, in all these passages I'm going to read you here in this fourth chapter, he quotes the word of God at the devil. Quotes the word of God at the devil. Huh. And then let me just give you a little insight here. In one of these uh, passages that we'll see, the devil uses scripture out of context at Jesus. And Jesus corrects him. This is why it's so important that you understand how to interpret the Bible. This is why that we went so hard uh, as we're pushing Bible study made simple, which the registration's now closed, but you can sign up on the wait list for the fall when it reopens. This is why we're so excited to do what we're doing. It's because you better know what the Bible says and you better know and, uh, and, and have the ability to interpret it properly and use what God's given you to fight against every attack of the devil. And, and that's what Jesus was doing. Devil quoted scripture out of context at Jesus. Jesus corrected him by the scripture. Answer your enemy. It is written. So then the devil stopped in that area and moved on to another area. All right, if I can't get you there, let me get you here. Verse five, and the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time and said, if to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him again. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So notice the second answer hit. And the devil had to stop in that area and move on to another area. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself from here. Now the devil's trying to get involved in what Jesus is doing. Oh, do, throw yourself down for here, for, me, for it is written. Now the devil's trying to quote scripture. Starts quoting Psalm 91. Oh, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Out of context. Trying to cause him to do something foolish and wicked based upon the word of God out of context. Verse 12, and Jesus answered him, it is said... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now look at verse 13. I love this. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. <clears throat> that right there is powerful. That last, that last part of that verse, you see that? He said, and the devil had to depart from him until what? A more opportune time. So when you're in the word and quoting the word and, and, and you're uh, standing on the word, it is not a good time for the devil. <laughs> oh yeah. 
That's what the Bible's teaching us, that Jesus never came off the word, never stepped back from the word of God. And every time there was an attack, every time there was a temptation, boom, Jesus met it with the mighty word of God. And the Bible says it not only ended every temptation, but then it made the devil depart and it was not an opportune time for the devil to mess with him. Why? Because he had the word of God in his spirit and at his disposal. You know, right? Jesus didn't, wasn't holding a Bible in his hand like this. There was no Bible like this. Where Jesus like had just gone to Barnes and Noble and gotten a brand new Bible and he was standing in front of the devil. Uh, it is written. Hold on. Let me find the passage. No. It was in him. It was in him. That's why it's so important to put the word of God in you. It was in Jesus. He was the word made flesh. But growing up in that culture, he would have learned the word of God as a boy. It would have been in him. It would have been in him. And now when it was come, when it had come time to use the word of God, he didn't have to sit there and, and flip back and forth and try to locate three verses. It was in him and he spoke it out and it caused the devil to run from him. It was not a good time. It was not a good time. That's why the second way to successfully, uh, conduct spiritual warfare is by the word of God. Think about it, man. It is the most powerful force that there is the word of God. If it, listen, if it was not the most powerful force there is, why would God have sent his word to the earth to complete the redemption process? Why it, the world was in a mess, dead in trespasses and in sins. There was no way to come to God. So why do you think, think about it, which element did God send to the earth to complete the redemption process? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? He sent the most powerful force there was to the earth to complete this work that we're celebrating this week uh, as we're getting ready to have Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. The word of God, most powerful force there is. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 138 and verse two, the Lord has magnified his word above his name. Or one translation says he backs up his word with all the power of his name. His word is the most powerful force. And when you deploy the word of God, at your enemy. You talk about spiritual warfare. It's like the biggest ammo. That's why. Let me give you something that'll make you shout. When you study Ephesians chapter six that we've been looking at and understand that the Bible says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If all God wanted you to do in this Christian life was to be protected from the attacks of the devil or defend yourself from the attacks of the devil, then all he would have given you would have been armor and a shield because that's all you would need to be protected from the attacks of the devil and defend yourself. But God did not stop when he gave you just the armor and the shield. He put into your hand a sword and you don't need a sword unless you're gonna go on the offense and fight. You don't need a sword unless you're gonna go on the offense and fight. So I want you to put it in the comments. God gave me a sword so that I can fight. You're not just called 
to defend. You're not just called to be protected. You are called to fight. You're called to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Just as Jesus did, you are called to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, that the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 and verse 12, the works that I do, you will do also and greater works than these because I'm going to be with my Father. Well, we know that we'll never die for the sins of the world. We know that we don't do the, we're not completing the redemption act. Jesus already did that. But he empowered his people to destroy the works of the devil. That's why the early church and throughout continued to preach the gospel. They continued to see souls saved. They continued to heal the sick. They continued to cast out devils. All these things continued on after Christ was dead and resurrected and ascended into heaven. All these things did. Why? Because he anointed them. What was the whole point of him saying in John 14? What's the context? The Holy Spirit. The works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? When I go to the Father, I'll send you another comforter, and he'll be with you forever. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's the Holy Ghost. That's the reason why. The church is filled with the Holy Ghost. And we have the ability to do what Jesus did as his servants. Powerful. Powerful. God didn't give you a sword for no reason. He gave you a sword so you can fight. You're called to be on the offensive. You're called to move out and begin to destroy the works of the devil. You talk about spiritual warfare. Take the word of God. Start putting it into practice. Start putting it into practice and watch what God will do through your life. Watch what God will do through your life. The word of God is more powerful than addiction. It's more powerful than depression. It's more powerful than sickness. It's more powerful than tumors. We've just seen it over these last three weeks. Mighty things happen because of the word of God. It is the most powerful force there is. And so the second way to successfully engage in spiritual warfare is to employ the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. That's your weapon. That is your weapon. Use it well. Use it well. And keep yourself sharp with the word of God. That's why Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved by God. A worker that does not need to be ashamed. Who can rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. So that means that there are some workers that should be ashamed of themselves. Did you ever think of that? There are some workers that work for God who should be ashamed of themselves because they cannot rightly divide the word of truth. And so we have a responsibility. If we're going to work for God, we have to study this word, rightly divide it, and use it to destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're called to do. It's a sword in your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's, let's continue on. The third way. The third way to engage in spiritual warfare, make the devil flee from your life. So number one, remain in righteousness. Number two, 
Utilize the word of God. Number three, listen as Paul continues to write about the armor of God. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Notice this emphasis on prayer. Not just prayer, but all kinds of prayer and Specifically, prayer in the spirit, spiritual prayer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this up and read it to you in uh, a few different versions as well, so you can see it. I like this. The Amplified. Pray at all times on every occasion and in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. See that? All manner of prayer, all kinds of prayer. The NASB. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. I like the New Living, breaks it down very liberally. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So notice this, prayer is being emphasized and Paul's not just saying that you should pray, he said pray for yourself but pray for all the believers and then he includes himself and pray for me. Pray for me. For what? That boldness would be given to me. He said this way, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's like, I need boldness. I need boldness. So prayer. And notice this, Jesus employed this method as well. Jump back with me to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see this with me. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And look at what Jesus is dealing with as he's in the garden of Gethsemane. I want you to see it. Uh, Let's start with uh, Matthew 26, 36. Listen to this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So I want you to see something very important on this. Jesus is in a place in his life, right before his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion, all those things, where his flesh is feeling it. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And his flesh, again, like Galatians 5.17, his flesh is warring against the spirit. Nobody wants to be tortured. Nobody wants to be crucified in the flesh. But how much did he love us? So much that he laid down his own life, that he submitted himself to the will of the Father. What allowed him to go? Now, this, this, what we're seeing here in this moment, this is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. His flesh 
is fighting against. He's got he's tempted right now. He's tempted. He does not want. He does, who would want to go to the cross? Who would want to go and be crucified and tortured on behalf of others when you're perfect and they're all sinful? Who would want that in their flesh? Nobody. And so he's battling in the spirit. Though the flesh and spirit fight against one another, you have got to submit yourself to the will of God. Well, look at what Jesus said is the element that allows you to do that. And he continues on praying. Came to the disciples, found them sleeping after his prayers. Verse 40. (laughs) And he said to them, so you could not watch with me for one hour? Not even one hour? Now look at this. Verse 41 is our key today. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice that. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here, what is Jesus teaching? Here's how you engage spiritual warfare. You're being tempted, tempted in the flesh. And he said, you've got to continue to pray, pray, like Paul's saying in Ephesians 6, pray, pray at all times, pray on every occasion, all kinds of prayer, pray in the spirit. Why? The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And you're doing spiritual warfare so that you'll not miss out on what God's called you to do. Number three, spiritual prayer, spiritual prayer. You've got to be a person of prayer if you're going to be a person who can truly war in the spirit properly. It's, I can't believe the things that people have made it to be. It's not the things people have made it to be. It's not the things people have made it to be. It's not some sort of a dance. It's not some sort of an accessory that you bring to church. It's no spiritual warfare. It's not some flag. It's not some horn. It's what Jesus taught it was. It's what Paul taught it was. It's understanding that remaining in righteousness is key. It's understanding that the, that the word of God being employed is key. It's understanding that prayer must be in place if these things are going to come to pass. They must come to pass through the ways that God determined them to work. So you look at all this stuff, it's, it's, a, it's mind-blowing to me, for example, when these things are minimized. See, here's how you can tell when there's an antichrist spirit at work. What, what, you, you, these things, you know, when, when I, when I say them to you in, in teaching, it seems like they might be very uh, elementary or baseline, but does it strike you as odd that many of the uh, churches of our generation, m- many of the messages that are being preached today, is it not interesting to you that they are extremely light on all three of these areas. Does that not blow your mind? On righteousness or holiness, on the word of God, and on prayer. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me tell you what I mean. How is it we've gotten to a place in American churches where they make light of this of these three things even in church, right? What do I mean? Number one, righteousness. The, the modern day grace message 
has completely taught that it is unnecessary. Unnecessary. Your choices don't matter. What you do doesn't matter. It's about what he did, not what you do. Has totally made people think, and it's been destructive, totally made people think that your actions don't matter. When the Bible clearly teaches that they do. What else has the seeker-sensitive church movement taught us? Well, you don't need that much word of God in your services. I've actually heard it taught and said that, uh, which is mind-blowing to me, that, you know, people today don't want to hear that much scripture read. And Really what you need to do is kind of have like, not even a full verse, just like maybe a, few, a portion of a verse, just kind of like a tagline, just a portion of a verse, and then tell a lot of stories give a lot of illustrations. You know, that's the model that people have adopted. Not a lot of scripture. Don't use a lot of scripture. You know, like what I, just this broadcast, what I've done with you today, the script, all the scripture that I've used, oh, it's far too much. Far, you're going to confuse people, brother. Far too much scripture being read. That's how they teach today. They teach young preachers. Don't use a lot of scripture or stuff. You know, tell a lot of stories, a lot of illustrations, be funny. And there's nothing wrong with stories and illustrations and nothing wrong with, with humor, but the word of God is what makes the change. And they've, they've minimized the power of God's word. What else? Prayer. I actually heard, I actually heard a guy on television who I can't believe has adopted this hyper grace message, actually taught this from his pulpit in a television broadcast that God does not want us praying for long periods of time. <laughs> God does not want us praying for long periods of time. He wants us to, to pray short, faith-filled prayers. Short, faith-filled prayers. I thought, I wish uh, somebody had told Jesus that before he prayed for an hour, or in Luke 6, the, before he prayed through the whole night. I wish somebody had told the apostles and the early church that before they set up an hour of prayer every day. <laughs> I wish somebody had told the early church before they went hard on prayer. No, God wants us to spend time in prayer. He wants us to spend time in prayer. It's part of our spiritual warfare. That's right. What happened to pray without ceasing? What it's part of how we overcome. It's how Jesus overcame. Let me tell you something. If Jesus had to pray the way that he prayed and the apostles had to pray the way that they prayed, don't think that we're going to have just random victories without prayer like they prayed. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take the word. It's going to take righteousness. Without question. Without question. It's going to take those things. And so... As we're talking about this, keep this in mind. It is extremely important the actions that you take on a daily basis. I found this out. If you will make these principles a part of your daily habits, then you won't feel you won't feel like you're always having to go in hardcore from crisis to crisis like I just had another huge attack spiritually. If you'll live this way, then what happens is you won't have to go to, to run back. For example, the devil attacks. Now I'm back in panic mode. I'm back in crisis mode. I got to get back into the word. I got to get back into prayer. I got to get back to church. 
If you'll just live this way, then it won't feel like you're going from crisis to crisis. You can live in victory by making spiritual warfare principles a part of your daily life. And it becomes a habit, becomes something you're doing all the time without, you know, you can do those things without being in a crisis. Did you ever realize that? You can pray with that kind of fervency without there being a crisis. You can get into the word that way before you get any kind of a bad report from a doctor. Do you ever think like that? Like you can go hard for the kingdom when everything's going great. And if you'll stay, you can build a momentum in the spirit of God. To where it doesn't mean the devil's not going to attack. doesn't mean there won't be things that come against you. But you're building up your own personal strength in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Hallelujah. And as we're standing in spiritual warfare, I understand there's people, Sister Bonnie said, I need prayer today. I'm going to pray at the end of this broadcast. And we're going to utilize this last step of spiritual warfare, which is prayer. And he said, supplication for all the saints. That's the prayer, asking God for something, to supply you with something. We're going to ask for those that need prayer today. Sister Bonnie, others that are believing for, for miracles in their lives, healing, deliverance, breakthroughs. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to touch you supernaturally. That whatever it is that the devil has used to come against you is quickly coming to an end in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you for your wonderful anointing, the power of your spirit and the power of your word. And Lord, I ask you today, touch your people who need miracles today. Those that are believing for healing, heal their bodies supernaturally. Those that are believing for deliverance, let this be the, the day that the chains fall off. We command addictions to be broken in Jesus' mighty name. Your word declares, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so Lord, set your people free today, we ask you in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, those that are believing, they need joy. They need an impartation of peace. I take authority over that depression and anxiety that's attacked their life. Let this be the day breakthroughs begin to happen. That's it, Amber. Enough is enough in Jesus' name. We declare it. Enough is enough in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, as you do the work, we'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I feel the anointing on that. Just begin to thank him ahead of time that it's done. Call it done right where you are. Say, thank you, Lord, that you're doing the work. Thank you that it's done. Thank you that it's done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory. I'm encouraging you, those that are watching, you're listening, to take this broadcast let the Lord speak to you. Sow a seed by faith. MiracleWord.com. All the ways to give are there. But you know what I want to challenge you to do is to partner with us. Maybe you've never done it before and you'd like to stand with Carolyn and with me as we're preaching the gospel. You know, it blows my mind. We just finished 21 days, 21 services, four different states, and the power of God was moving in every single place. People are hungry. Salvations. We ran out of salvation cards in Michigan. Over a hundred souls saved in less than four days. Miracles taking place. You're a part of that as you partner with us. Gospels being preached around the world on television. 
uh, it's just amazing all that God's opened up in a short period of time. But as you're standing with us, I'm saying thank you for being a part of the Victory Tribe. And for those that are partnering in the month of April, we're going to send you this book by Dr. Cho called The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner, Understanding the Holy Spirit and His Gifts. And that's for those that are sowing $85 or more. We're including with that, uh, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 for those that are sowing $250 or more. And then finally, the Net Study Bible, 60,000 translators notes. For those sowing $1,000 or more, you'll get all three of those things that we'll send to you. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out the form if you've already sown your seed. If you already have one of those uh, books, you ha- there's a drop down and um, you can, you can uh, choose something that you may not have. Um, yeah, I don't, Robert asked the question, oh, why, why do people say you have to renounce things before a demon comes out? I don't see that in scripture. I don't either, Robert. And, I, and I've already seen that. I can only, I, only, I wonder if that comes from the Catholic church. I wonder if that's something that's kind of a tradition that you see in the Catholic church with, you know, Catholic exorcisms and things like that. Um, but when you see it in scripture, the man of God casts demons out. You know, Jesus didn't stand in front of Legion and say, now renounce the wicked works of the devil, now renounce his name. Now, he, he didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. Um, the early church didn't do that. You just, the Bible just said they'll cast out devils. Cast out demons. You cast them out. And, uh, and so you can receive deliverance. Of course, you do have to turn your back on a life of sin and all those things. But I don't see that in Scripture. And if, if it's there, I've never seen it. In the times that I've read it, I've not seen it in that way where you have to stand there and renounce every single, that's why I said yesterday, you see people on TikTok, they got people that are being, you know, delivered at the altar. Oh, uh, now take off the crown that's on your head. It's like, oh, take off the, take off the belt that you have on. Oh, uh, you know, take off the chains on your arms. Oh, you know, it's like there's, it's all theatrics. It's all theatrics. You cast out devils, you pray, you receive. And so, I don't get into all the extra. I just want to do what Jesus did. I want to do what the apostles did. I want to see it like the scripture teaches it, you know. And so you have authority through Christ. You cast it out. It's a good question, Robert. We've got Javante, Gino's in the comments renouncing Krispy Kreme. Well, I take authority over that Krispy Kreme demon. Let's try to come against your belly. And I command it to go. I command that belly to shrink, 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 Gino. In Jesus' name, we thank you that Krispy Kreme does not have dominion over you from this day forward. By the power of the Lord. I love you guys so much. Thank you for hanging with me again today. Thank you for everybody that's partnering, those that are sewing. And um, I can't tell you how much we love and appreciate you. I'll be back again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Have a powerful day. I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.